So tonight we're beginning a brief series on Revelation 12. We're going to start it tonight, pick it up next week, and then I'll wrap it up on the first Sunday of the new year in January. The book of Revelation is pretty much always hard to nail down, right? It's full of metaphors and symbols, and there's all kinds of crazy things going on. So I'm not going to say that as we work through Revelation 12 that I have all the answers or this is exactly how it is, but I think that there's a, a very responsible way of reading this chapter that sees it as a cosmic retelling of the nativity story. So this is a, as the Gospels of Matthew and Luke tell us the story of Jesus coming, Jesus' birth, Revelation 12 is, is another angle, another way of telling that story. So let's jump into that tonight with Revelation 12 from verse 1 to verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. So for our family bedtime reading, we often read a few chapters, a couple chapters of a book to our boys, and we've been working through this series of books called Spy School, the Spy School series. And this series, it's pitched at kids level, but it gives you a lot of the usual sort of spy, espionage characters. So Ben is the main character in the story, and he's kind of a normal kid who gets sucked into this spy world, but he's incredible at math. He can calculate things like the trajectory of a missile just in his head like that. And then there's Alexander Hale, the great spy superstar who's completed a thousand successful missions. But as the books go on, you find out he's actually completed zero successful missions. He's just really good at showing up at the end and taking the credit for it. And as you read through these books, there's all these kind of stock situations, these things that any sort of spy story has. But these books give a particular twist on it. Now here in Revelation 12, if we were first century readers and we, we read this for the first time, we would hear John, who wrote the book of Revelation, we would hear John telling us a story that would kind of be a, a stock story. It'd be one that would have all kinds of elements that we would recognize from other stories. We won't go into the details on this too much tonight, but scholars have traced out how there's, there's a lot of Old Testament and other ancient Jewish stories that that show up in this story, in this chapter. And, and there's a lot of Greco-Roman stories that, that have some resemblance to what goes on in this chapter. But as John tells this story, he tells it with some particular twists that, that give it a Christian meaning. So John is taking a type of story that his, his original audience would recognize, but, but he's telling it in a particular way, and he's adding some particular twists that that bring it home with a Christian message and with the message of Christmas. So let's look at that story. And we'll start today, as Revelation 12 does, by talking about the woman. That's our first stop along the way tonight. And Revelation 12 begins with this wondrous and amazing star or sign appearing in heaven, and it's 
It's this woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And some commentators read this, and they want us to see that that woman is particularly symbolic of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And there's something to that, but I think it's, it's too small if we make it about just one person. I think this sign has a much bigger, a cosmic meaning. And, and so, and I'm, I'm in good company here, I think that this woman represents the church, represents God's faithful community of people from Adam all the way up to John's time and all the way up to today. And often when we look at the church, when we, well, even when we look at each other, we think of the church around the world and we see all our troubles and all our weakness, the church often looks pretty frail. But here John begins by giving us this heavenly picture of God's people. This amazing, beautiful, glorious figure who who is crowned with the sun and and has dominion over the moon and and has these 12 stars on her head. And all of these are pictures of glory and power and, and ways that this figure that God's people share in all that God has. But then at the same time that this is a glorious woman, symbolic of a glorious people, it's also a woman who is suffering. Revelation 12 tells us that she's glorious, but also that she's crying out in pain because she's about to give birth, because she is suffering. And again and again, as we go through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, as we think up to today, the church is glorious, and the church is suffering and waiting. So Revelation 12 begins with this character of the church, the people of the Lord, living in glory and suffering. So that's the first character in this story. And and then verse 3 brings us to another character, to another sign, the dragon. And that's our second stop along the way for today, the dragon, the villainous dragon. That spy school series that I mentioned earlier, like every every series of spy books, they have their share of villains. And one of them is Dane Bramage. Dane Bramage, which if you rearrange a little bit, is brain damage. And he is this huge, hulking guy with massive arms and tremendous muscles and, and incredibly strong, but also incredibly stupid. And he's so top-heavy that if he falls over, he can, he can hardly get up. But that doesn't stop him from being a villain, and he causes all kinds of trouble along the way, and you don't want to mess with Dane Bramage. He's a frightening character, but he's also a little bit of a comic one. And I think the dragon here in Revelation 12, while it is a frightening character, I mean, this is, this is a fire-breathing dragon with whoever, however many heads and horns and all kinds of things, But I think John is also poking just a little bit of fun at this dragon. That it's, if you actually visualize it, it might look a little bit ridiculous. So this character of the dragon is supposed to give us this sense of arrogant power and might, but at the same time, a character that's reaching a little bit beyond maybe what it can really handle. There is reason to fear the dragon, but maybe the dragon isn't the ultimate power in this story, though it would like to be. And that brings us to our third stop for today, our third point, and that's the battle. 
This dragon is fighting an ongoing battle against God's people. And this text wants to drive us to Christmas and the birth of the Christ child, as, as we'll see next week especially. But we should read it, too, with an eye toward the season we're in now, with an eye toward Advent, with an eye to the time before Christ's coming. And as we live today, as we think of, as we think of God's work leading up to the coming of Christ, the dragon attacks and attacks and attacks and attacks and attacks. The battle goes on and on. And even though the dragon does not ultimately succeed, he keeps coming back around again and again and again. The dragon in this text is, well, it's representative of Satan, of the evil power. And as um, one particular commentator, William Hendrickson, works through this text, and I'm not going to go into all the details he does, but he works through the whole Old Testament and gives example after example of ways that the dragon, ways that Satan comes against God's people and tries to undo God's plan and, and make this whole thing fall apart. And we go all the way back to Genesis. I told you Genesis would show up tonight. We go all the way back to Genesis, and there's this snake, a little bit of a dragon-like creature, huh? There's this snake who shows up and tempts God's people and leads Adam and Eve to fall away from the Lord, and then we have this picture of the snake and Eve, the woman, and Adam, and God is there, and the Lord promises that a child will come and crush the dragon, the snake. The dragon thinks he's conquered in pulling God's people away from him, but, but he hasn't. And then we move on and we come to Abraham and Sarah, and the Lord promises Abraham and Sarah that, that their child, that the one who is coming will, will be a blessing to the whole earth, but the child doesn't come. Year after year, maybe decade after decade, the child doesn't come. And the dragon laughs and laughs. But then Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. The child comes. We move forward a few more centuries. God's people are stuck in Egypt. They are under evil King Pharaoh. This figure who claims to rule the heavens and the earth, and he has God's people under his authority. And the dragon laughs and laughs and, and tries to wipe out all the children of the Israelites. But then along comes Moses, and God brings his people out. And then we move quite a bit farther along in salvation history, and, and Haman. Haman develops this plot for, for all the people in the empire to wipe out the people of the Lord. And the dragon laughs and laughs. And then the Lord provides. And through Mordecai, and especially through Esther, God's people are saved. Haman hangs and God's people win again. And again, you can go through all kinds of other stories in the Old Testament, some as well known as the one I mentioned tonight, and others much more obscure, and you see this story played out over and over and over again. God's people are in danger. God's people who He has worked to bring to Him and who He has gloriously preserved are in danger, and the dragon thinks he's going to win this time. And yet, 
And yet the Lord delivers his people over and over and over again. But the dragon keeps coming back. The dragon keeps coming back. And so God's people always live in suspense. And that's, that's our last point for tonight, the suspense. As with many books, those spy school stories, it ends most chapters with a cliffhanger. And sometimes the hero is literally hanging off a cliff. Sometimes there's a gun pointed at him. Sometimes there's a bomb about to go off. But there's always a cliffhanger. And when we'd read those, we'd get to the end of a chapter, and our boys would always beg, like, you can't stop there. Don't. You can't. What's going to happen to him? You can't stop there. Keep going. Just one more chapter. And you read one more chapter, and you get to another cliffhanger. And again, they say, you can't stop there. Just keep going. Keep reading. We don't want to stop there. Well, Revelation 12 Tonight we stopped in the middle of a story, right? We saw this woman, we saw the church with all the glory and the suffering, and, and there's this dragon ready to devour the child that she's about to bring forth, and, and then we stopped. And that's not an entirely natural spot to stop in the text. I think we can do it, it's responsible, it's not terrible, but, but it is in the middle of the story. And the reason that I chose to stop there is because we, we are in the middle of the story. It's Advent. Advent, these weeks that we look toward Christmas are a cliffhanger season. We are waiting. We are hoping. We are looking toward the Christ child coming but we're not there yet. We're still in the suspense of it all. We are still at this cliffhanger point. And in one way, that's not actually true of Advent, right? We all know Christmas is going to come. We know that Jesus came. It's not... Advent isn't really a cliffhanger in one way. But in another way, it is. In another way, when we enter this Advent season, when we look forward to Christ's coming, we are acknowledging that we are still waiting. We are acknowledging that the dragon is still crouched, ready to pounce. We are acknowledging that we are in the middle of the story still. We are still in the midst of our suffering. We are still in a time of trouble and agony. And so in Advent, as we look forward to Christmas, we, well, we're looking forward to Jesus' first coming, but in a sense, we're also hoping and longing for his second coming. Many, many things are different for us than they were for first century believers, but, but we are still in the suspense of this story. We are still hanging off the cliff. We are still faced with terrible, terrible challenges in our lives and in our faith. We are still in trouble. And I, I thought about at this point in the sermon listing off a number of troubles that we have in our lives, but, but I think I'm going to leave that alone because all of us, all of us can think of our own struggles. 
all of us, if we think for just a minute, can come up with, can come up with ways that the world seems about ready to destroy us. Life is hard. Life as Christians is especially hard. And so in this season of Advent, we are, we are waiting and we are hoping. We are looking for the coming of Christ and we rejoice in that and we will rejoice in that. But at the same time, we wait. And so the next couple weeks as we look forward to Christmas, let's wait well. Let's wait well and faithfully. Let's look back and forward to God's great gifts to us. Let's, let's look beyond the mundane, beyond our current sufferings, to see the beauty and the glory of our Lord Jesus and the beauty and the glory that He brings to our lives, often through our suffering. And let's be encouraged in the midst of our struggles. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. We expect, we hope, we wait. This is the story of Advent. We expect, we hope, we wait. And Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. Let's pray. Father, in this Advent season and always, help us to live well in the suspense. Help us to live in the suspense of our sinfulness, of having our lives and ourselves and those around us not be, not be who we want to be and not live how we want to live. Father, help us to live in this already and not yet of your kingdom where where we want to be transformed, where we seek to be transformed, where you have worked in us, but where well, we just aren't there yet. And Father, help us to live in the suspense of our pain and our suffering. Whether we are depressed or lonely or grieving or sick, well, you know, you know better than, than we know about each other and often better than how we know about ourselves how much our lives are full of waiting and suspense and dashed dreams and unfulfilled expectations. But Father, we pray even in our disappointment and our worry that you help us, help us to live in you. Help us to see past the suspense to your grace and your glory. And Father, help us to live in this suspense where we can look forward and, and we can see the glory of your church and we can hope in the resurrection and, and we have all these things we can look forward to, but we just ain't there yet. Father, help us in this Advent season to see Jesus. Show us the Christ child, our Savior. Help us through the Holy Spirit to see the path that you have laid out to bring us to be with you forever. And Father, we thank you that, that you did not leave us alone, but you sent your Son, you sent your Spirit to live with us, to live in us, to draw us to you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.